Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I'm your host. And on today's episode, we are talking about all things East Texas Showdown for 2024. And I've got a fantastic panel assembled today to help me answer questions that came from the participants of this year's East Texas Showdown. So on the panel this week, we have Harrison Cruz, who last year did the showdown. And we have Vince Colvin, who did the slowdown last year, and Asia Roberts, who did the lowdown last year. And so we have, if you're not familiar, the East Texas Showdown has three different routes, all in one weekend, different distances, and we have a rider from each of those categories represented from last year's East Texas Showdown. So if you are participating in East Texas Showdown this year, this episode is absolutely for you. In fact, it is almost mandatory listening. We're going to be discussing a lot of important facts and just interesting information that'll help you have a successful ETS. But even if you're not doing ETS this year, you may find this episode informative if you just like going bikepacking. We're gonna be talking about a lot of tips about camping gear and how to deal with dogs and other information that you might find helpful. And also, you don't have to participate in the East Texas Showdown to take advantage of this information. All of the routes from the Showdown series are available at texasshowdownseries.com. They're online, they're free, and anybody can go ride these routes anytime. I always love it when I see people uh, pulling the route files and just going out there on their own little adventure. That's always really exciting. So that is what we have for you on today's episode. And one quick note on the format of today's show. The first part of today's episode is going to be with the panel, and they're going to be taking turns answering the questions that you, the ETS participants, asked. And then the end of the episode is going to be me just addressing questions that I felt comfortable tackling on my own and didn't really need the entire panel. Some of them were more directed just to me as the race director. Uh, so that is the overall format of today's show. But first, we would like to thank all of our East Texas Showdown partners, starting with Chumba, Hand Up Gloves, Kuat, Mulberry Gap, Ombras, Old Man Mountain, The Radivist, Ruby Coffee, Stans, Thompson Bikes, Womb, and of course, The Bullet Grill, which is the host of East Texas Showdown. All right, thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you for being here. Let's get into my episode with the East Texas Showdown panel for 2024. But first, let's have Miles Arbor kick it off with the Bikes for Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. All right, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for uh, jumping on to talk about all things ETS for 2024. 
I told you in the email that you weren't the experts, but I lied. Y'all are the experts. Just kidding. So, <laughs> uh, just going to have you guys answer some questions from your experience over the previous years. We have uh, on the panel today somebody from every single category. So, from the showdown, we have Harrison. Uh, who's representing the showdown category. So Harrison, why don't you introduce yourself real quick? Um, yeah. What's your name? Where are you from? And what do you do for a living? Yeah. So Harrison Cruz. Um, I live here in Austin, Texas. Um, and I work for uh, Womb Bikes here in Austin. If somebody isn't familiar, uh, we're a kid's bike brand. Uh, our U.S. headquarters is located just in the heart of Texas. Awesome. And uh, next up, we got Vince. Vince, what's your name? Where are you from? And what do you do for a living? Yeah, I'm Vince Colvin from Chumbo USA Bikes. Uh, we're based here in Austin, Texas. And last year I did the showdown, or the, sorry, the slowdown. This year I'm aiming for the, the showdown. Um, <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah, so he's representing slowdown this year. And maybe you'll glean some advice from uh, Harrison on the showdown. All right, Asia, where are you from? Well, yeah, what's your name? Where are you from? And what do you do for work? Sure. Uh, my name is Asia Roberts. I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is where I live. Um, I work in learning and development as an instructional designer for the Nature Conservancy. And I've done the slowdown and the lowdown, actually. So two years. Oh. So you did the slowdown first and then this last year you did the lowdown? Yep. Yeah. Oh, great. So you're not from Texas, huh? I'm not. No, I uh, was living in Houston for a while. And that's definitely how I got into the whole ETS thing. But moved, uh, left, left, left Houston in July of 2023. Yeah. Okay. So you've, yeah, you're familiar with Texas riding. Um, yeah. All right. And, and also, um, I wanted to just real quick uh, acknowledge that Womb Bikes and Chumba are both sponsors of the East Texas Showdown this year. And wanted to, you, uh, you guys have some stuff for us for the raffle. So um, first of all, really appreciate all support. It's kind of crazy in the cycling industry right now. And uh, we really appreciate everyone that can like help us put on these events. So uh, Harrison, what are y'all uh, gonna be doing for the showdown this year? Yeah, so for the previous two years, we've done a, a Womb Now, which is like our urban commuter dynamo hub bike. Um, I, I think this year I'd like to change it up and maybe do something other than the Now. I don't have <laughs> exactly picked what that'll be yet, and I would love to work with maybe that winner to maybe figure out what's the best bike for their rider going to be. So I, I guess a Womb bike maybe just put one caveat on it. It won't be our electric uh, e-bike, but <laughs> we'll have a womb bike for uh, the winner of that raffle drawing. Um, and I'm excited to work with that person to get them the best bike for their rider, whether that's their kiddo or niece or nephew or what have you. So, yeah, that's been really cool. Y'all, but we've been able to give away um, a lot of uh, bikes specifically to parents and people who will actually use them. So that's going to be awesome. Vince, what about y'all? What is, uh, what is Chumba going to be doing this year? Yeah, we, we have some new t-shirts that we'll be bringing, some hats, and then I've got uh, a handful of nice bikepacking bags, uh, a few different things, uh, likely from uh, Bedrock, that I'll be bringing up for the show, too. Oh, awesome, man. Well, some new, uh, some new Chumba Drip 
So you're looking fly out on your bike. <laughs> That's I like pretty it. cool. <laughs> yeah, buddy. I'll, uh, yeah. I'm always jealous. The raffles are always like pretty good. I'm just like, man, there's some good stuff in there. So uh, it'll be another good year, I'm sure. Well, let's talk about um, each of your personal approaches to the ride um, individually. Whenever you did, uh, you did it. Were you going fast? Were you going light? Were you touring it? Were you stopping to smell the flowers? Were you stopping to pet the dogs? What was your personal approach to the route that you took on? Uh, Asia, let's start with you on the lowdown. Um, yeah, my personal approach for the lowdown was definitely stop and smell the roses, uh, make friends, which I did. Met a lot of people. I always meet, meet a lot of people doing the um, ETS events. And yeah, I was just out for a good time. Um, I definitely packed heavy, definitely with the intention of sleeping a lot, uh, eating really good food and just having a, a good time. Yeah. When you say you met people, do you meet uh, like other riders or like locals or everyone? Riders. Yeah. I ended up ending up, yeah, I ended up riding with a lot of like the cycle East crew during the lowdown and just, I mean, it's, it's just an event where I feel like in two, you know, I was out, out for two days and just kind of riding with the same group of people and just started to feel like I'd known them for like months or something. Like just, um, yeah, making friends. And then we had that camp out. Um, what is it? It's Friday night, right? We had the camp out yeah. with the bonfire and everything and just met, just met tons of people. Um, in fact, I met Michael who was doing bike mechanic work last year doing ETS and he now lives in Albuquerque. So we hang out all the time. So oh, cool. yeah, those friendships have continued for sure. That's, that's awesome. So you camped yeah. at the, uh, the group campsite. So did you mm -hmm. do the lowdown in two pushes the first day? Cause the group campsite is, is basically halfway. So did you do it's at Ratcliffe, the, right? Yeah. 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 So the first day I rode to Ratcliffe, um, and it's a long day. I mean, that was, what did I do that day? Maybe 80 miles or something. I can't remember. Um, and then in the morning, as you know, it was pretty muddy, um, so it was just kind of a, a, a morning of like getting through a lot of mud. So kind of some like harder riding than it had been at least the year before, which we had like perfect, amazing, sunny conditions. So last year ended up working out, like it was just kind of rough in the morning with the mud, but, um, yeah, went to Ratcliffe Lake recreation, whatever it is. The first night hung out, did the bonfire, had some beer, um, slept like a baby, got up the next day and wrapped it up. Yeah. <laughs> just, that was pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. I think the lowdown works well, if you can, as a two day ride, it's, it's a long two days on the bike, but I also kind of think that that's a good opportunity in that environment to, to like kind of stretch your legs and maybe push yourself further than you might be used to for just like an overnighter. Did, did you find those mileages to be pretty difficult or, or overall kind of manageable? Um, I bike, I guess trying to like, I'm trying to see how I would say this. Like, yeah, if you do, if you do the lowdown in two days, 
if, um, especially if you don't have a lot of experience bike packing, like it's, it's a push. I mean, I want to say I did 80 miles that first day. It's, it's definitely a push. It's not, it wasn't a walk in the park by any means. I was dead tired by the time I got to Ratcliffe. Um, but I think if you do it in three days, it would be, it would, it would definitely be a much chiller and more, <laughs> I don't know. It, it depends on what your, what your definition of more enjoyable would be. Um, right. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think both, I think both options would be great. Um, I don't yeah. even remember why I decided to do it in two days. I don't remember. There's... Probably for the beer and the bonfire. Probably for the beer and the bonfire. That was like my prerogative that year was just like, I hadn't been riding very much. Um, I think I was signed up for the slowdown and then changed it to the lowdown and was just like, this year is all about, um, I mean, it's definitely a challenge. The lowdown is by no means like, you know, it's, it's still plenty of miles, but it really does give you the opportunity to, to have fun, like to, I mean, I, the slow, I did the slowdown too. And that was, that was actually super fun. I mean, I'm like, I, I want to come back for more was, was after my first year, but for the lowdown, um, you definitely have a lot more time to just talk to people, enjoy the beer and Ratcliffe. I will say this too, actually, I really like Ratcliffe as a, as a campsite. I think that's a great place to camp. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. a really nice place. Yeah. Yeah. It's really like a jewel in the middle of that forest. I mean, it just kind of, yeah. yeah, it's really, it's really pretty. So good, good promo for the make uh, and uh, encouraging people to make the uh, group camp. I like that. And the, the gas station there, I can't remember the name of it, but the, the folks there are so nice. They're just yes. like the nicest people. Yeah. yeah. They're great. Yeah. So, I don't know the name of the gas station, but it is the gas station that's right by yeah. there. And they're always so friendly. Um, they're literally making you sandwiches and food to order and they want to talk to you and hear your stories. And they do. Um, some of the great, greatest experience on the route happened um, with those interactions with the locals. I think we always hear that. And, and the locals like message me and stuff and they get excited. So it's one of the really cool things about the route. Yeah, absolutely. Our, all right, Vince, what was your approach to the slowdown last year? Um, I would say I, I really wanted to embrace the, the namesake of the event and just take it nice and slow. Um, but to cover the mileage, you're still riding all day if you have that approach. So um, I broke it up kind of as like, well, maybe I'll make it 100 miles the first day, you know, and I made it to... Uh, I think the mission campsite, which is like a 90 something. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was great. I mean, that was a good all day ride. I got in there at dark. Um, there was plenty of food options on the way. And, um, but the pace of that allowed me to kind of ride with other people and chat and have it be, you know, really fun at the start when everybody's all together and just get to, you know, enjoy all that before you kind of get split up and, and dispersed there's a pretty good sized crew kind of all landing there too. Um, so that was pretty cool. Just like rolling up and seeing a whole bunch of other people doing the event and everyone kind of had different experiences and challenges through the day. Um, so it was a nice chance to kind of do that, but, but push past where the group campsite was to try to knock more of the route out. And for me, that was helpful, like psychologically just to, 
I was very tempted to stop at the group campsite, but I was like, man, I, I really want to, I really want those other days to be easier. So I need to keep going. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But th- th- that worked out great for me. Um, and then, uh, the second leg of the ride, I made it over to the site near, uh, Kennard, uh, which is like that primitive campsite there. And that was awesome. Um, it was really pretty. And, uh, you know, you're not too far from a gas station if you can make it there ahead of time. Um, we got there just as they were closing and they were nice enough to stay open for us. Uh, oh, cool. And, uh, but that campsite was beautiful and there was nobody there, which was also kind of nice at that point because you're so tired. You don't want, I don't want to talk to anybody in my <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many people camp at that uh, that campsite. I'll shout it out real quick. Let me see on the map. On the lowdown, or yeah. sorry, on the slowdown, it's at one mile one ninety three. Um, did you camp yeah. next to the little lake there, the little pond? Um, no, I got in at dark, so I couldn't really see what was going on. I just uh, I was there with uh, Jacob Luce and. We uh we just found like a couple nice trees and big long logs to to set up kind of like a dinner station next to and camp out and just woke up and enjoyed enjoyed the beauty of the spot. It was yeah a sleepy little place and uh, you don't have to go. It's nice because you're like right off the road. You don't have to go like far into the campsite and like had a bunch of miles. It was just it couldn't have been more laid back of a spot so i definitely like that uh, place a lot that's kind of like a a dream location to get to uh you know maybe in the showdown i'd imagine if you're doing like a big day that'd be a pretty sweet like first campsite yeah the other nice thing about that well one thing to note about that campsite it's the first one that you enter once you re-enter the davy crockett national forest so you've gone through a section that's you know private land and it's kind of your first option for some really safe um good dispersed camping in the national forest where you know no one's going to bother you and um it's it, you're right it's a it's a good spot i'm not sure how many people stay there the other one you mentioned mission mission tejas is a really beautiful park did you get to see it during the day uh, a little bit. Um, I saw enough to know that there were some trails there and we were all like, I wonder if we could tie that in and <laughs> still make it just, just technically stay on route. Cause, uh, it looked like a pretty fun place to ride bikes. I thought they were only hiking trails, but I might have to revisit that. I'll have to look. Yeah. I didn't look too close to, to, you know, check the rules, but just passing through, it looked like fun. <laughs> ah, interesting. Pro tip, we'll all look into it. Uh, race director yeah. noted. Uh, no. The only downside of that one is like it's the end of the day and you descend like way down into the campsite. So in the morning, you start with like just a big like slap in the face to get out of there with the climb. Yeah, that is such a good point. Yeah, it's a very fun and fast descent into camp, but it's a, it's a slog to get out of there and it's a kick in the face. I've definitely... Uh, been there many a times riding out first thing in the morning and it's like all right here we go we're in it now uh good stuff yeah. all right harrison what about you on the showdown what what was your approach uh yeah i wish i had a better answer other than to say i, I was really just riding to ride and to get to the finish uh i remember this previous year i had an idea of maybe trying to 
finish in like two days and, you know, really kind of push myself. But uh, as Asia mentioned, that, that morning was kind of rainy. And I, I remember Vince uh, riding with you a little bit at the beginning there too, where we were going through that sand section and the, the wind went immediately <laughs> out of my sails to a little bit of a degree where it was just like, how can I get out of this and feel better and hey huge quick shout out uh shout out michael i love you lots um i'm (laughs) I'm so bummed that you get to hang out with him now that's my dude um but yeah it was really just like let's just see what we can do let's just see how far we can go let's see what happens um you know i think yeah I, i had something i think booked at mile 200 or something like that that i didn't end up using and i only ended up going about 140 miles that first day to jacksonville which was fantastic it was so nice to get Whataburger and get a warm bed and, you know, shower in the morning before getting my continental breakfast and whatnot. So you, you stayed in a hotel in Jacksonville at 140? Yeah, it was like the Truckers Inn or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> How would you rate the Truckers Inn? Wow, it, it was everything I needed. It was a, I, I guess, you know what, the one thing, there were no towels. So I got, I took a shower and I got out and there was like a washcloth waiting for me to dry off with. So other than that, it was fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's funny. I guess as bike packers, we can't complain, but yeah, uh, yeah. You, you were happy to have a shower. I'm sure it was what lovely. A, what, a, how did the rest of your race go? Like, did you do any more camping or did you, uh, push all the way to the end? Yeah. So it was super cool. Um, that next day I linked up with, uh, Drew and a bunch of other people. And we ended up doing 200 miles that day and made it all the way back to bullet grill. And we all just, I I think slept in our respective cars that night and then woke up and just did the, uh, the death loop first thing in the morning and we're done by like one or two in the afternoon. And it was beautiful. It was such a lovely morning. Um, I, I feel like I slept in like, it was so cold that Saturday night, I remember, and just getting back into the, the Subaru and just curling under a blanket in the fetal position for probably about four hours and then <laughs> busting out of there to finish up the race. But it was that, that second day was, I mean, truly one of my favorite days of riding I've literally ever had. It was, it was unbelievable. Oh, that's lovely. Um, what, uh, what contributed to the 200 miles, you think? You're just feeling fresh after a night's rest and had your energy yeah. or what? Totally. And there was a, there was a pretty uh, solid group of us who kind of coalesced by, uh, we just kept picking people up. It was me, Drew and Zach. And then Daphne it was the four of us riding until three in the morning. And we just kept each other going. And it was, it was so cold that night that it was, if it had been warmer, I'm sure we would have just decided to cowboy camp somewhere and then do the extra whatever miles it was, but it was so cold. It was like, we should really get back to what we thought we wanted to do the bullet grill anyway and sleep in a, a car or whatnot. So, you know, being cold kept us awake. I think there's a question about how much, you know, food and stuff. There was a gas station every like 30 miles. So we were just pounding Red Bulls every couple hours or something <laughs> like that. Um, so it was, it was a really fun day, but by the end it was just like, let's just get somewhere where we can, turn on the heat or something i don't know (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely it's easier to keep going and stay warm uh one thing i want to mention while we're while you mentioned stopping at the bullet and sleeping your car another question that we got was about if the bullet grill is still neutral support and it is so if you're on the showdown um you can sleep in your car you can uh get food out of your car and put on your bike i mean it's it's a neutral support for everybody um so that's going to stay the same. And, um, yeah, I, I like that format. I think it, 
Uh, the death loop sounds really ominous, but the way you did, did it, Harrison, I, if you do it during the day, it's, it's really nice. It's not bad yeah. at all. It's lovely. I mean, first light, it was just, I mean, I was like crying. It was just so pretty. It was just oh, so, I, I was just so thankful to be like out there at that moment. It was so cool. Um, yeah. And then getting some of that bullet grilled coffee and a taco before finishing mm. out. I mean, what better way could you start a 70 mile ride like that? Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Next up, we're going to shift into talking about bikes and gear. Obviously, we got a lot of questions about all of this. So the first question is, um, what bike did you ride? And let's combine here what tire you used and how well that setup worked, your bike and tire combination worked. Uh, Asia, go ahead. We'll start with you. Um, I was on an All City Cosmic Stallion and I was on 42 inch tires. I cannot remember what exactly I was on um, other than that. And setup. Oh man, what did I have? I'm trying to remember. Like the full setup. Is that the question? Oh no, just mo mostly the tires for now. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, so you said you wrote, I, wrote a 42 inch tire. Uh, yeah. Was it an aggressive tread or pretty minimal? And how well did that work? I think it was a pretty aggressive tread. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's just what I rode too for the slowdown the year before. Um, it, I remember it working well. To be honest, I'm trying to think what I would have done. I don't think I would have done anything different. I mean, it basically was like, unless you were just on absurdly fat tires in the beginning for that mud, I don't know what you were going to really do. It was, I, I think that's a really good <clears throat> size, excuse me. And, you know, it was, it was kind of brutal that Friday morning in the mud, but after that, it all, it all just worked out. I did. So I wrote, I rode that bike and that tire size twice for the slow down, slow down and the low down. Yeah. Um, and both, both times it worked out well for me. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Vince? I rode our Yopan model, which is a, uh, a dirt drop mountain bike. And, um, I set it up with drop bars and rigid fork and pretty much full bag set, um, but really light on the handlebar bag just to keep things kind of more on the minimal side. And uh, tire size, uh, I did Victoria Mescal uh, 2.1s because my goal was really just comfort. And I hadn't ridden that bike in that kind of application yet. I'd mostly just done single track bike packing with it. So I kind of wanted to gain more experience with that versus going to a more gravel side. Um, just with being able to recommend stuff to folks and getting a sense of how much, how much comfort versus how much distance is easy to cover on that bike in that format. Yeah. So what, it, what do you think? How did it perform? Would you recommend that tire size, especially cause that's a little bit more of an aggressive tread. Um, there was mud this, this yeah. past year. So, um, yeah. Would you recommend that? Did that work? How'd that work for you? I mean, I found when I went through the mud, most of it for me was more of a sandy kind of mix. So I didn't really ever have any like buildup on the bike. It was more just like a little added drag because the tire size. Um, 
it was definitely way more tired than you need. You know, this year coming back, I'll be riding on a 700 by 40 with a different mileage goal. Um, but, uh, you know, if you're trying to do 80 to hundred miles a day and you want comfort, I think like anything from like a 1.9 to a two inch would be pretty, pretty sweet just to be comfortable and more relaxed and, you know, less, uh, attention given towards steering and, you know, moving away from obstacles and staying upright and more seeing the sights, but, uh, but certainly slower, you know, but yeah. it was the slowdown. So that's how I planned it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I think that's a, a perfect answer. Good advice. What about you, Harrison? Yeah, I, I man, I'm going to be the narrow guy here. I mean, I ran 38C uh, uh, Maxis Rambler, which is like they're like gravel tire, and I ran the same tires the first year I did it and the second. So by last year, they were beaten into like suppleness. It was so they they rolled so well. It was really really nice. Um, and I, I I mean, I don't think on that route there was ever any moment that I felt like I was truly under biking on 38s. Um, and, and to Vince's point, there was never any buildup in that first. Uh, sand section because it wasn't like you know that peanut butter mud that we always talk about uh one thing uh, on top of it too is i actually ran even tubed this last year it wasn't even tubeless and i uh i never had a puncture or anything so i know that's like sacrilegious at this point but i was able to run some uh uh victoria uh latex tubes and they did just fine over all 400 miles oh perfect perfect yeah i love that so a range of tires and i think Y'all hit the range perfectly. Anywhere from a 38C up to a 2.1 inch tire um, is is probably a really good sweet spot for this course. Um, it's not too gnarly, so it's more about the kind of ride that you want to have, how fast you want to go, what your comfortability is with their tire choice. And to y'all's point, I think overall, you know, our soil around here is very sandy. We have sandy loam soil and we don't generally get that peanut butter mud that you hear about it, like maybe Mid-South or something. So it really doesn't clump up as much um, and and really get stuck in the tread the way some other uh, riding in other areas does. So that's a good point. Um, what's next on our list? Tires, always a popular question, tires. We always like... We'll get like a hundred questions, what tire to run. So hopefully that helps. You can run anything. I heard Terravail <laughs> Washburns. I just asked. <laughs> Couldn't remember. <laughs> oh, Terravail Washburn. Yeah, yeah. I was perfect. like, wait, what was I on again? <laughs> uh, so we talked about where you camped, but what was your camping setup? Uh, this time, let's start with Harrison. We'll switch it up. Uh, Harrison, what was your camping setup? So... Um, I'll talk about the last two years. So last year I didn't really do any camping camping where I stayed in a hotel in Jacksonville and then I slept in my car night two. year one. I slept in my hammock, um, shout out hammock, both nights, both Friday and Saturday night. Um, I will say if there is any amount of wind or if it is kind of chilly, a hammock, you'll feel pretty exposed because that wind will come up and cut right underneath you. You're not insulated by any ground underneath you. Um, and at the Central Texas Showdown this year, I got just blasted with wind one night. Like it was just like it was the opposite of cooking. It was just freezing me from underneath. And it's so, unless you're going to bring some kind of like down sleeping bag or comforter, or if it's warmer, I, I don't know if a hammock is probably the best sleeping thing out there. You might be better off just uh, in a bivy on the ground because at least then you have the dirt insulating you um, from everything around you. Yeah. Um, 
From a access to trees standpoint for hammock camping, how was that? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I remember night two last year, I slept at a rat cliff and there were two perfect trees right by the water. It felt kind of serendipitous that I was always able to find a tree that was about two trees, about 10 feet away from each other. The thing about that, though, is if you've been riding all day and your brain is completely fried, your bandwidth for finding trees and setting up the loops and all that is is difficult at best. So uh, it, it can definitely be another thing you have to worry about is finding trees and the right distance. And then, oh my gosh, I put the feet up higher than the head and now my blood's all rushing to my head all night and stuff like that. So it definitely adds a layer of complexity. And if you really want to make it hard on yourself, I mean... Go for it. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll advocate for hammocks. I'm a hammock camper almost exclusively when I can, and uh, I think it's like anything. If you get really comfortable with setting up hammocks, then your familiarity with it will kind of like like at this point, I, I'm not as good at pinching pitching tents. So um, I, I I think you're right. You you have very good points, and I think depending on your level of comfortability with a hammock, like you don't want to test it on one of these routes because they can be really cold. They are a pain to set up if you don't know how. It's much different, obviously, than a tent. So if you're used to hammock camping, if you have a a good level of comfortability with it, I do think that this route um, is good if you're a hammock camper and that's your preference, uh, your preferred way to sleep. Is that fair, Harrison? Yeah, and I think that's a great point of don't like, Go out and do it like a bunch of times beforehand. That way, if nothing else, it's muscle memory when you're setting it up and you don't even right. have to use your brain, really. It's just your hands can take care of it. Yeah, perfect. What about you, Vince? Uh, I used a Six Moons tarp tent, um, which I threw in instead of the baby since we had the weather being kind of rainy. Um, I'm not a huge fan of being in the baby if it's raining unless you have to. So the tarp tent gives you a little more room to kind of spread out your gear and, you know, enjoy the, enjoy campsite a little bit. Um, I was also as a goal, like I wanted to get like a full night's sleep because, you know, I wasn't really trying to cover, you know, 180 miles a day. I was just trying to hit like a hundred a day. So with that, you can, you can, you know, have a breakfast, you can, you can enjoy camp for a few minutes at least and, and not feel like you've got to get up at the crack of dawn. Um, at least in, in my case, that's how I felt. Um, and, uh, you know, I use that with just a, a, like a, probably like a 30 degree quilt. Um, and a, um, I had one of those like ultralight, uh, climate, uh, camp pads, which I was testing out. I don't, I don't know about those. Uh, <laughs> we don't know that I won't be using that this year. I'll tell you that. <laughs> one with all the cutaways um, in it, like the ultra ultralight yeah, one. Yeah. I just yeah. kind of like inherited it and it was like, yeah, I'll give it a try. But, uh. Though advertised for side sleepers, maybe not good for side sleepers. But if you're a back sleeper, it's actually really uncomfortable. Um, and then just like a little Tyvek sheet for ground cloth, just kind of the same size as the as the, the as the quilt setup. Um, and and that works really well because the whole system is super light. Um, it had it has like a carbon pole, and you basically put the pole in the middle, kind of off off center it uh, once it's up. And then pitched out all the corners and there's even like a zipper to it. So it's just like a tent without walls and without a floor, basically, in the, in the end. Um, this year, just trying to be mindful of trying to cover more distance, uh, I'll just bring uh, a bivy instead, just so I can be real quick about throw it out, get in it, 
roll it up and go away. <laughs> yeah. Less motivation to sleep in when you're stuck in a bivy, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I kind of am having that moment where like, all right, every time I camp, there's like that time you wake up at like three or four o'clock and you're just like, I'm awake. Should I go to the bathroom? I decided that's the time when I'm just going to get on my bike and go. <laughs> nice. Nice. Let your bladder be your alarm clock. That's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're waking up at that point. Yeah. You might as well get going. I love it. All right, Asia, what was your sleep set up? Um, so I also, I agree with Harrison as far as, um, know how to set up your equipment before you, uh, take it out. Um, I borrowed a one person tent from my friend, Emily Miller. Um, and I, yeah, I practiced in the park actually a few times before I took it out and really wanted to make sure I knew how to set it up. Well, I don't remember what kind of tent it was exactly. Um, but super lightweight one person tent. Um, I had all the the comforts though. I had the, the tent, um, and I'm, I've never actually slept in a hammock. I'm all about sleeping in a, in a tent. I should try, I should give the hammock a try sometime, but I have heard from a lot of folks that they're pretty cold and I like to be really warm. So I'm always a little afraid of that. Um, I had a sleeping bag, I think it was like a 30 degree. That was probably way too hot for that night. Um, I had a pillow. I had a really nice inflatable pad. Um, I took all my warm, nice, comfy clothing. Yeah, I was definitely a luxury camping that night. I remember I slept like a baby. And that's doing the lowdown um, right. That's how you do it. Carry some extra stuff and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was I was definitely out there to enjoy it. So I had a really comfortable setup. I slept, I slept great. Yeah, that's good. There's yeah. nothing better than a nice sleep after like a really hard day on the bike. The worst thing is like when you can't sleep after you've worn yourself out and you're like, why? I rode my bike all day. I should be tired, right? Yeah, it's uh, kind of hard sometimes like the first night camping, I think. At least it always is for me, even if it's comfy. But last night, that, that, that time I got lucky, I guess. Yeah, that transition into sleeping outside. You're right. That can definitely play a role. Yeah. So... Another question we got a lot was about food and water. Um, so I'd be interested to hear like how much food and water you carried and what your strategy was for resupply, how you thought resupply was on your route, that sort of stuff. Uh, Harrison, you get to go first. I was going to pick on Vince, but he's playing dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the ETS has a, a really great dispersion of, you know, gas stations and restaurants and pretty much everything you would need. There was never any point, you know, I, I always try and plan out. I always have a little cue sheet of knowing when my next stop could be. I feel like there was never any more than maybe 70 miles was maybe the max between uh, a refuel, right? So what that means is I didn't bring in like a hydration pack or anything. And I'm also going back to the writing question. I'm not the type of person who would want to skip gas stations or whatever it was. Even if it's a five minute break, I think that's worthwhile to take. Um, so two normal bottles. Um, I had two, um, what do you want to call them? Feed bags on my bike as well. So if I ever wanted to have a Gatorade with me, or, you know, I remember filling it up with Cheez-Its like four different times. That was my snack of last year. Um, I would always have something with me as well. So it would always be like planning for, 
you know, 75, 80 miles worth of food, which really isn't a ton. Uh, I'm not skipping anything. So I didn't have to like plan ahead or anything like that. I know a lot of other riders will think, well, if I can skip this next one, I'll save some time. And for me, it's about, it's all about the snacks. Really. That's the whole reason I do any of it. So I'm not going to skip that. Yeah. So you only carry two water bottles. Yeah, two water bottles, and then usually something in a pocket in the jersey, and then maybe something in the uh, uh, the feed bag as well. So, like, they're bigger water bottles too. So it's not like no water. So, yeah, usually about four bottles worth of stuff, which is about good for about eighty miles for me. So, yeah, yep, yeah, okay. Uh, Vince, did you hear the question? Yeah, that was an area where like it was kind of funny because I rode the whole first day with my friend uh, Austin Walker, who works works for us also, and he carried like no food, just snacks, and I had like enough for the whole trip probably. Uh, so I I've had a few trips where I kind of ran out, or also like I have a few a few uh, food allergies I have to work around, so I didn't want to be like unprepared. Uh, um, so I brought way too much food knowing the route. Now I'll bring way less this year. There's just loads of options. I felt like for resupply, um, and plenty of restaurants too. Like if you have enough time, uh, to, you know, get a sandwich and get a sandwich to go, you know, and, uh, plenty of places like that. So this year I'll try to bring smart food, but less food. I also brought a stove because I really love coffee and like a warm, breakfast and it was kind of colder um this year i'll kind of try to forgo that luxury just to save on time and try to make the longer route with all of the, of the showdown um and as far as water uh in my frame bag i had like a two liter bladder uh but i really prefer to drink out of just because then i always kind of know just by nature like the pace of my hydration and how much i'm taking in uh, kind of on the hourly. So in one of my two stem bags, I ran just a water bottle and I also don't mind taking a moment. So I, every time that, uh, that basically ran out, I would just stop, fill up to my bladder and kind of take the sights in, have a moment and then continue on. But the cool thing with that is then you're kind of always, always aware of how much water you have uh, versus like in the bladder, you're just sipping, sipping and all of a sudden, Oh, it's gone. Um, you know, and, uh, I never felt like I needed more water there. I was always able to make it to a refill with that kind of like 95 a mile a day pace, um, that I was doing pretty much from like, you know, dawn till dark. Um, so yeah, I never ran out of water and I never had to break up the filter or anything on, on the route there with that. So, uh, did you actually ever make the coffee with the stove and everything that you brought? Oh yeah, absolutely. I made, I, I, I did it up. I had like, uh, one of those scrambled egg, uh, you know, backpacker Mountain pantries. Oh, okay. I had like two, two things, uh, oatmeal, uh, probably two cups of coffee. I had a great, great morning, both mornings. Cause I was like, I brought all the food. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, Less I, food I had, you got to like, carry. Whole, I had like a whole avocado, like all, all kinds of stuff. I think I started, I started the ride with a sandwich. Like you gotta, you gotta start with all the perishable things first and then just snack on those all day. Just really, yeah. really soak it in. Enjoy it. Vince, <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to be getting some calls after this for people that want to go bikepacking with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to try to figure the food part out. 
because uh, it's been in my biggest challenge over the years to like you know, like maintain nutrition on the ride and not get sick and so now i've just learned like you just I, for me i just have to keep eating and i have to eat the right things and um still still figuring it out but yeah it's going better yeah awesome dude awesome what about you asia what did you do um i I'm trying to think of what I did for food and I don't remember it being a big concern of mine. And I think that that's just because I would say in general on ETS, I I clearly can't speak for the um, showdown, but for the slowdown and the lowdown, your resupply options are just, they're like, they're kind of perfect. I find they're very, they're, they're plentiful and you can pretty much get at least a gas station. I can't remember how every, every, how many miles or so, but, um, I remember I wasn't, I definitely wasn't very concerned about food for the lowdown because there were going to be several resupplies. And so, um, I definitely had like some nutrition on some feed bags, um, my friend had made all these like homemade like rice and beef like things to snack on just because I get I'm getting like really tired of eating so much sugar all the time. Um so I had like some homemade nutrition <laughs> balls, I guess. Um and yeah, I don't know. I think I was just eating those in like probably some sort of like cliff bar kind of thing of different different types of brands. Um but I definitely stopped for like a pretty hearty lunch at a gas station. I can't remember where it was. There were a ton of people stopped and had probably something like a corn dog and a piece of pizza or something ridiculous. But I do not recall, like I didn't pack much for food, like as far as meals went, I knew that I needed enough to like snack on throughout the ride because it was, I was 80 miles that first day. So I was definitely really hungry and needed something to, to fuel up on. And I, I do think that for me to keep, just keep eating, even if I'm not necessarily hungry is huge. Um, I kind of force myself to eat a lot when I'm bikepacking. Um, so I don't like crash or anything, but I didn't really worry much about like having like a solid lunch or dinner. Cause I knew that, that I'd have stops for those. Yeah. Um, and then water, I also wasn't, wasn't really worried about water. I probably only had like, I might've had like two liters on me. Maybe I don't even remember. It wasn't, I, I, I feel like for the low down, it was like, I didn't have to have more than maybe a few water bottles on me. Yeah. I would get to a stop and 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 be able to refuel. And I wasn't in a huge hurry. I will say that one thing that I am really good at doing is stopping a lot. And if I stop too much, <laughs> I will lose. Like, I don't know. I'll like end up at a gas station talking to someone for like an hour. And then I'm like, oh, I do actually need to get done with this ride at some point today, yeah. as much as I'd like to hang out and and like talk to all these cool people that are out here. Um, and then yeah, at Radcliffe, we had tons of stuff. I mean, there's definitely beer. There was folks were sharing food. Someone was really nice and made me some really good coffee that morning. I didn't bring, I didn't bring a stove 
And that's the one thing I do kind of regret because I am a coffee drinker. So I didn't have coffee, but someone was kind enough to make me some the next day. Yeah. That's a good point. Bikes for Death should bring a, a stove for the low down camp site for the morning. So all the low downers don't have to bring their own stove. That's a good, I hadn't thought about that before. That's why this that is would good. Be, I think that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Well, I'm glad my perception of the route is that there's a lot of resupply for food and for water. It's actually pretty neat because the East Texas is pretty rural and remote for the most part, especially by Texas standards. Um, but the way the route goes is it's popping you into at least a small town with a gas station or something. So it's nice to hear that everybody felt pretty comfortable from a resupply standpoint. And it's nice because you can just keep refilling. If you need a little bit more food, you grab a little bit of extra at the next stop and you pack some in your bag and you, you keep going. So um, that's good to hear. All right, last question on your gear. What did you bring that you didn't need and what did you not bring that you wish you had brought? That makes sense. I think I asked that question, right? Vince, we're going to let you take it first. Um, the thing that I brought that I didn't need was the wrong gear ratio. <laughs> Tell us about uh, it. So I guess it's the thing I, I needed the most. Um, I had my bike set up mainly for my mountain bike bike, bike packing, so... I was running the terrible gear for the route, like 32 tooth chain ring uh, to like a, you know, a, a regular SRAM uh, Eagle in the back, like a mullet set up with road axis shifters. And, uh, you know, it was super undergeared for everything. Uh, just, you know, there was, I could have gone so much faster and covered so much more ground if I had just had time to get a, a longer or bigger, uh, bigger chain ring on there. So yeah, that was that was my main mistake for the route. Um, but you know, I just what I had at the time was like, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go for it; it'll be fine. And uh, but it definitely held me back from covering uh, a little bit more ground, a little bit faster for sure. Forced you to be more slow on the slowdown. Yeah, that's the thing. I kept like, okay, internalize what this is about. It's all good, you know. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. My bike won't let me go faster. Right. What about the thing that you wish you had? Oh no, the thing that you didn't need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I didn't need. Anything I wish I brought. Oh, so, it's all in one. <laughs> all right, cheater. So that's how bad it was. <laughs> so, bring, bring, you know, if you're on a mountain bike, you know, go as big as you can. You know, run a yeah. ten or a thirty-six if you're lucky. Um, but try to bring a gravel bike. Would be my advice. Okay. Actually, yeah, that's a, that's a really good tip for the gearing I've experienced. I did, did it on a, I did it on the exact same when I did my ITT attempt of the showdown. I did ran a 32 with a traditional mountain bike setup on the back and it was definitely not the right setup, but I was exactly the same as you. I'm like, Oh I, crap. I haven't had time to fix it. And I don't know if I can find a part. And <laughs> yeah. I just, I just ran it and it was fine, but not the ideal uh, ratio for sure. Uh, Harrison, what about you? Well, I didn't, you know, I, I brought the hammock last year and then I didn't end up needing it. Um, so it, you know, I had that and like a, a 20 or 35 quilt in there too, which definitely took up a lot of space. So, you know, 
would have loved to not have that on my handlebars and feeling that weight in there, which was, it was fine. It never really affected anything. I think one thing that I wish I would have had that this year I'm definitely going to bring, depending on how the weather's looking, is some, uh, you know, those like crunchy hand warmers, you know, you, you can put them in your shoe or whatnot, just because it honestly, even if it's not cold, if you're clipped in for three days straight or whatever it is, your feet get kind of beat beat to hell, right? So just some heat on them probably would have felt so good. So I definitely plan on putting those in the back, the pike, the the pack this time. It's small enough that it won't make any difference anyway. But I think it might be awesome. If nothing else, stick it in the bib and have it on your lower back for maybe a little bit. Might be fantastic. Yeah, a little spa day out there. I like it. Ooh, that sounds lovely. <laughs> I live by those hot hands and hot feet or whatever. I'm, I, they're almost always in my pack if there's a chance that it's going to be a little cool. I don't like cold weather, so I'm not ashamed to admit it. What about you, Asia? Um, so I wish that I, I think the stove thing is, is yeah, is something that I, I don't know if I, I didn't, I didn't need a stove and my whole plan which is what I pretty much did was just eat gas station food for two days. Um, that does work. I think that unbeknownst to me, I get sick of gas station food a little quicker than I had anticipated. Just, I, I wish I'd had a little stove and just, just the coffee set up. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> like such a coffee drinker. And I think I remember my thought being, okay, I'm at Ratcliffe. And then when I need coffee in the morning, I'll just bike up to that gas station but it's not super close i can't remember it's close it's close but like it's not i don't know i think like if you're trying to drink coffee in the morning it's like you want it you want it then when you wake up so yeah i wish that i had brought coffee i wish that i had brought a little stove um to make that and just maybe something to make in the morning just so i wasn't eating like I don't know, some sort of gas station food. Um, cause I had the time and the space to, to carry more food. Um, I guess the only thing, so that's something I didn't have that I wanted something I had. I'm trying to see how, how the best ways to frame this. I just was struggling really hard with my Garmin the whole time, but the route, it messed me up really bad. It, I think it was, I think it's more me than the Garmin, but I hated that garment on that trip. I wish I'd had a different computer. I was just so, so mad at it. Um, it's okay. This I've this struck- episode is not sponsored by Garmin, so know, you're I'm fine. Like, do, I, do I talk about how much I hate my garment? Sure. Just don't say anything bad about Chumba or Womb right now, and we'll be good. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Chumba or Womb. Um, of course not. Yeah, that was... The, I, I mean, it, it put me in a pretty bad mood, the, yeah. the garment situation. But, I think we've. So I, I think most people with a any kind of. I mean, I have a Wahoo, and that thing has gotten me lost more than it's gotten me found. I I swear. But again, I it also is probably just me. I probably listen to music and I mess something up. I I don't know, but yeah, it's a good yeah. reminder to just I guess pay attention and it's you get tired and it's easy to I don't know miscue yeah. Harrison. Well, no, no, this is totally off. I'm not going to bash on computers or anything. But oh, one no, thing ahead. I brought this last year that I was so happy I did was some like packets of instant coffee. And it was like darn good coffee too. And like there were a couple times in the middle of the day where I was just, you know, you just need that little pick me up. And it wasn't hot. I, I put it into a water bottle, but 
man, it like it hit the spot so right. It was so good. So if you're a if you're a consummate coffee drinker, like it sounds like we are, maybe it's nice to have in the pack just if you need that hit of caffeine and it's, you don't want to drink a sugary Red Bull or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. another thing I started doing too, is carrying like a clean canteen, like water bottle. Like it's not a water bottle, it's a thermos and I'll just put water in it all day. And then it also serves as like a coffee mug when I want that too. So it's exactly that. It's like, I'll use it for water and I'm not carrying like an extra coffee mug on top of that. And then like when I want it to be a coffee mug, it's a coffee mug too. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, just pretend it's a um an iced latte from your favorite coffee store. It's just it's just a little warm, but it, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, instant coffee is surprisingly there's a lot of really good options out there now. All right, we'll move along so we can try to make our time cut off. Let's talk about the route. Um you know, a lot of y'all are familiar uh with riding in Texas. Um, I think East Texas kind of provides a little bit of a different riding experience than what you're used to, but we have a lot of people from out of state. We have international riders that are coming uh, to ride this route. So, uh, you know, how would you describe the route uh, to people? Uh, Is it easier or harder than you anticipated it be? Anything that stands out to you about the route? Um, Asia, I'll let you go first. We've been... I think it's your turn. I don't know. I'm just jumping around. <laughs> no worries. Um, the route. So I guess like there's there's a lot to say about the route. I think that for those of you that aren't familiar with East Texas, um, it's, how do I say this? It's, it's surprisingly beautiful. Um, <laughs> you may not think of East Texas as this like beautiful place, but it, it is. It's it's lovely. Um, I like it. I mean, a lot of it on the lowdown is kind of rolling, smooth, pretty smooth gravel roads. Um, the time of year is just epic. It's, it's, there's no better place to be in my opinion. It's just so pretty. Um, green fields and farmhouses and wildflowers and, Hopefully the day is beautiful or the whole, the whole time is just beautiful. Um, I find the terrain fairly easy. And I mean, I, I guess one thing I'll just say is like, bikepacking is not easy. It's just not, I guess you could make it easy, but generally speaking, bikepacking is not an easy endeavor. Um, whether you're doing the lowdown or the showdown, it's, it's challenging. Um, and I think that that's what, that's what makes it so much fun too. Um, but I would say, especially cause I, I live in, in New Mexico now and just deal with like much more kind of brutal terrain. <laughs> like it's really chunky and big rocks. Like I barely ride my gravel bike that I rode in Texas, that, that, that bike that I rode. Um, I love that bike that, um, Cosmic Stallion, but I just don't really ride it much in, in New Mexico much. It's I I need kind of a more aggressive bike for, for what I like to do now, especially when I bike pack. I just um bike packed here in Tucson and it's it's just so so chunky and so much more elevation gain and just it's it's tougher riding. Um 
So yeah, I would just say that I think that ETS and but I think that that's what makes ETS so great is like whether you're a novice rider and you're just like kind of getting into bike packing, it's great. Like you're just out on these like rolling hills, pretty smooth gravel, some pavement. It's just really accessible. Again, like we had some we had some mud. It sucked, but it's not like this brutal peanut butter mud that just destroys your day. It's doable. Um, and it's, it's really pretty. It's just, it's a pretty area. Um, I don't know. Am I missing anything? Oh, I think that's a great, uh, I like how you said surprisingly beautiful. Uh, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I, yeah, I, I'm putting the route together. I, I kind of surprise myself sometimes. I'm like, dang, this is, this is nice out here, you know? And it made me honestly appreciate Texas like a little bit more, you know? Um, so yeah, I love that. Me and too, I also, and go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I think because I'm, you know, I li- only lived in Houston for three years and in Texas for three years and I've lived in the Southwest and like the Pacific Northwest. And I think, you know, we don't often think of East Texas as like a biking destination, but I always yeah. tell people like you should do ETS. Like it's so worth driving out there, flying out there, whatever you want, get, get, get out there on your bike in East Texas. Like it's so pretty in the su- in the spring. It's just really pretty. Um and it's yeah, it's it's a really pretty place. It's a lovely it's a lovely destination to be riding in the spring yeah. for sure. No, I appreciate that. It's it's really surprised me how many people come from so far and wide cuz like you said by Texas isn't really known to be like an epic uh cycling destination per se and we don't have a lot of public land. Um, but yeah, a lot of people have come from far and wide and really enjoyed East Texas. So it's been, uh, been really cool to see. All right, Harrison, what about you? What were, what are your thoughts on the route? Yeah, I think, you know, I think Asia really nailed it. It's so, the terrain is so varied, right? Like you, if you, if you're starting to get into this, like, I, I mean, ETS was definitely my first bike camping race or whatever you want to call it, but like you get gravel you get some beautiful rolling hills you get a fair amount of pavement you get out in the middle of nowhere for a time and then you're going through a small town or what have you like you kind of get like a little bit of everything it's never ever too challenging it's certainly challenging which is good you don't want it to be too easy either i suppose um but it it really checks all the boxes of everything you would want to see and it's at never one point so treacherous that you need to prepare for just that one section right you can kind of roll with what you got to a degree take that with a grain of salt but you really can kind of make it what you want it to be um and it's it's pretty forgiving to you as well uh, my first year doing it i was cer- certainly underprepared for it and i was able to come out of it just fine because it it, it it forgave me and uh, for my hubris and let me continue on the, the race. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. It's not, I mean, it, it is designed to be kind of a gateway drug into the sport of bike packing and the course is approachable. Um, it's got resupply options. It's pretty get you out in the woods. So I like all that stuff. Uh, Vince, did you hear the question? We're talking about your, your thoughts yeah. on the route. Okay. So cool. Yeah. Go, yeah, go totally. Ahead. I mean, I was also surprised. I mean, I've been here in Texas for a good long time, and I've done a handful of different events out in East Texas, but I hadn't spent so much dedicated time on the bike 
on back-to-back days there. And one thing that really struck me is that the, there was like a constant, like I felt like every five miles, the color of the gravel changed. Um, maybe it's just like the sandy nature of it. And, and also because a lot of it was wet. So there was a lot of like great colors coming out. So visibly the actual like ground you're riding on, I thought was really interesting. So uh, that was kind of a, a good uh, uh, distraction, I guess, from just like how, how long you're riding. Um, the rolling hills were really, really pleasurable too. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, uh, farm life to see. Uh, at one point we got to like ride next to like a whole, like herd of, uh, of like, uh, huge horses, uh, which was a pretty special moment. Um, and, um, yeah, so yeah, just overall, just rolling hills. Um, the way I broke it up and kind of like those like 85, 95 mile hour, uh, chunks, the third day was a lot more relaxed. Um, got some friends popping by over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, the third day was a lot more relaxed. So it was mostly, or quite a bit of it felt like it was downhill, um, or at least like a lot of false flat and much more mellow. Um, the conditions also kind of hardened up because it wasn't so wet anymore. So lightning crashed by comparison to the the other days. So that that was uh, Sunday coming back. Um, so that kind of worked well too. Uh, it was a was a surprise. Like I didn't really spend a lot of time planning out the like elevation gain and you know all of that. I just more set the goal is like the mileage and. Uh, I guess seeing how it how it changed uh, so so differently, the three different chunks were so different from one another. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Nice, good, yeah, I like that. I think that's a good uh, overview and a description of the route overall. So to make this one kind of fast, because I'll just yeah. So my perception of the route is that it's uh, about sixty percent gravel. 40% paved, and if it's not raining, 100% rideable. If it is raining or there has been rain, probably like 97 or 98% rideable. Does that? Does anybody disagree with that or does anybody have a different opinion on the road surface? I would say it's 100%. I never ever had to hike a bike across any of the 400 miles, even that first day when we did get some significant rainfall the night and the morning of, right? So um, it, it maybe isn't your favorite writing, but I would say it's 100% writable. Maybe that 1% would be that time, that section where uh, we were underwater, I suppose, for a moment, right? Yeah, uh, I did have to get that. off the bike for that, <laughs> for just a moment. That's true. <laughs> yeah. some, some people did ride that though. Yeah. Yeah. My bottom bracket <laughs> never forgave me for that either. <laughs> Riding it was the way to go. I walked it. It was not fun. <laughs> yeah. For people listening who don't know, last year, um, we don't know what happened, but some levee must have broke or some water somehow became irrigated to and redirected over the road. And so on one of these Forest Service roads, I think it was about mile 55 or 60 onto the route. Um, there was probably a good mile that was under, a, uh, what do you say, like an, anywhere from eight to 12 inches of water with a current that's going across it. 
I, yeah. I feel like there were a few deeper pockets if you made the wrong step too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went past my knees. I'm pretty short though. But yeah. it was it was a little exciting. It was deep. Yeah. Yeah. We saw some people having a like stumbling and almost falling. I think Todd, yeah, I remember Todd, he he tried to ride through it and rode into a divot and fell over into it. So <laughs> uh but that that was a rare thing. We hope that doesn't happen again. But I think yeah, I was being pretty conservative with my estimate, but I it's it's pretty darn close to 100% rideable. And as we talked about earlier, we had a variety of tire sizes on this route. So the route is very approachable from a riding standpoint. Not too hilly. There's going to be some hills, but it's forgivable uh, to where you can just, to Harrison's point, kind of keep on, keep on going. So uh, one question... How how safe did y'all feel on the route from uh, interactions with either locals or trucks, cars, vehicular traffic? Um, how safe did y'all feel on the route? Uh, Harrison, go ahead. Yeah, I never felt in danger. I mean, there was definitely roads I liked more than the other, uh, more than others because you wouldn't see any traffic. But I mean, Saturday night we rode from. I mean, Saturday, we rode from 7 a.m. till 3 a.m. And there was never any one point on the road where I thought like, holy moly, this is sketchy. We shouldn't be here or whatnot. Like, it, it, you know, you're riding on live roads sometimes that are going to have traffic on them, right? So you need to kind of uh, act accordingly and follow the rules and whatever that may mean. But it, it, the locals were always spectacularly kind and friendly and usually make you laugh, which in the middle of a day can be so like it, it can be worth more than you could even imagine. Right. So never, ever did I feel, you know, unsafe. Right. I, other people might have different experiences. There were never any dogs that felt threatening. I never saw any boars or hogs or, you know, cryptids or anything like that. So it was all a good time. Good. All right, Asia, what about you? I mean, I, I pretty much agree with everything Harrison just said. I think, um, and like, generally speaking, the ride is set up really well. And it's, um, I mean, we had that escort, um, leaving last time, which I thought was great. I think that's really cool that you did that. Um, I did not have the escort, the first time I did when I did the slowdown, I never felt unsafe though. Like, I, I guess I do a lot of like urban cycling and bikepacking in general. And so ETS for me feels really, really safe. Um, but yeah, anytime you get on your bike and you're interacting with traffic, which you won't a lot, but you will just be really careful. Um, there are, you know, yeah, it's just, that's how it is. You got to be careful on your bike. Um, I would just say the locals are really nice and people are helpful and just, there's just a really, it's a really positive environment, um, from everyone, from locals to other riders to just, just really positive people, really nice people. Um, I will say that I don't like the dog situation, but I don't think that that's like an inherently 
you know, East Texas thing. Maybe it is. I don't know. I think it's another one of the lovely, it's kind of like the car thing, you know, you get on your bike and these things, these things can happen. I've never had a really bad experience with dogs, but I will say that I, I lean on the pretty anxious when that, when I do get, when I have to deal with the dog situation, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to touch more on dogs and take a slightly deeper dive into that in just a moment. So uh, that that's a popular question. So I'm going to pick back up on that one. Um, so yeah, overall safety on the route as it, as it pertains to just interactions with the locals and traffic and stuff like that, Vince? Yeah, I found the locals, I mean, around all the folks I was with, everyone seemed very welcoming and kind of intrigued by what we were doing. Uh, I definitely also appreciate having the escort across the bridge, like, and a few participants like brought that up while we were doing it. Like, wow, I'm really glad we're doing this all together. Cause that is like a two lane kind of like nowhere to go scenario. I wouldn't feel super comfortable doing that section otherwise. Um, and, uh, you know, on the road, there's a handful of spots where there's, you know, fast cars, but, uh, I felt like quite a bit of the route had like shoulder, which was nice. Um, and so I didn't feel super exposed. Um, and, um, yeah, so overall very, very comfortable. Uh, also, also not a big fan of the dogs. So I, I sympathize with Asia for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, safety really is like my number one priority. So when I was creating the route, um, you know, if you, you have to go into towns, obviously, if you want resupply, you're unavoidable. And so I always just try to pick roads where there's a decent shoulder, but you know, people from coming out of state that are coming out of state, I get a lot of questions like, Oh, you know, what's Texas like? Is it safe there? You know, or people are going to try to run me off the road or whatever. And, um, I haven't heard of any negative experiences yet with people riding the route, which I've really been grateful for. And, um, if anything, like what y'all are saying really echoes what I've heard every year that we do it. Um, the locals are friendly. They're excited. They're nice to chat with you. They're curious and we haven't had any issues with aggressive drivers. So knock on wood, let's keep that, uh, going. And uh, let's talk about the dogs. Yeah, that's that is. Can I just add on to that, please. Patrick? Like, you I've, absolutely I've can. Packed all over the U.S., and I can totally see that sense of like, because Texas is such a like big car culture, and probably doesn't have a strong reputation for cycling. But like, I didn't. I've never found the drivers, especially out in East Texas, like any more aggressive or hostile or mean. Like, there's than like other places that I've that I've ridden. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I appreciate that. So the dogs, um, I, so as I will say like, I'm not the best person to ask because I don't, I, my, uh, I, I just don't even really notice them. Like I like, I like getting chased by them. I think it's like, it kind of like is mental stimulus. It's just kind of something fun that happens. Um, that's and crazy. so I get this question <laughs> a lot and I, I, I don't, I don't think I'm the right person to ask. So I really want to lean on you guys. Uh, Vince, I want to start with you. I know, uh, I know that getting chased by dogs isn't your favorite either. So, um, yeah, what, what, like, give us an idea of like, how bad are the dogs? Like how often are you getting chased and did you find any tips for dealing with them? 
So yeah, it, it wasn't as bad as I expected, um, given given the chatter around it. But you know, I personally have like a history with uh, dogs and getting chased on uh, on my bike and you know getting bit and whatnot. So I'm definitely on edge in that scenario. Uh, I was fortunate to ride kind of with someone most of the time, and so that I found to be uh, you know reduce a lot of that anxiety so you you know can ride with someone else if you're nervous about it that'll definitely like calm that down quite a bit i feel like um because i feel like they're less likely to approach a group most of the dogs that we encountered that presented themselves as aggressive they're really not they're just trying to alert you that they're there um you know i don't want to encourage anyone not to be cautious around them, but um, my friend Austin, who we rode together the first day, he kind of had a really interesting approach of just like riding right to the dog, uh, like the ones that are barking at you when you're approaching them. He would just ride right towards them, and he would even get off and stop uh, and interact with them, which I was like, that's insane. And I would just kind of skirt by on the side because I was having none of that, but he had some type of like, I don't know if he was like hiding uh, dog treats in his stem bag or something and not telling me, but he had some kind of like magic, magic ability to whisper the dogs away. Um, but yeah, I mean, from chatting with him, he said over the years, like he's found that if he just becomes the thing that's moving towards the dog, the dogs usually get confused. Um, so my plan this year is to kind of, uh, you know, behind me i'll move away as briskly as needed uh but if they're in front of me i'm maybe going to be a little more like presenting myself as the bigger animal yeah i guess that's yeah vince that's exactly what i do is i if it's barking at me i just ride straight at it and i bark back at it and they're like what the heck you know and um i found that to be a a really good approach to Yeah, they don't, and you're bigger than they are. They're like, "What is going on? What? Who did I pick a fight with right now?" And I don't know if I want to have this fight. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Asia, you talked about your dog dog experience. Uh, Like, how how bad were the dogs, and and how did you you know how bad were they? How did you manage it? I guess I'm like I don't know if I'm the right person to talk to because I'm like really anxious about this. Like, this is like a big source of anxiety for me. I really don't like the dogs. I actually like really love dogs. Um, so I, I, I'm, I, I'm trying to see how I'm going to like best talk about this. Um, I'm like the opposite maybe of you, Patrick. I'm like not, I'm like hyper aware. And I'm also, I often ride with people that are like, don't care. They're going fast. They just, you know, cruise through town. The dog's chasing them and they're like, whatever. Um But then I'm in the back and the dog by then is like, oh, we're going to get her. Like I'm the, I'm the slow little one. So I feel like they're always like (laughs) about to get me because I'm not going super fast. Um, And when I did the lowdown last year, I don't remember any dog situation. It wasn't like a big deal on the slowdown the year before, for some reason, I just interacted with a lot of dogs chasing me and I don't love it. 
but I also get kind of used to it. Um, I mean, it's not like this constant thing. It's often you're, you're coming into town and, you know, it's, it's always when you're coming into town, but, um, yeah. And dogs will start chasing you. And, um, I have, I've tried a few different approaches. I think just do whatever makes you feel best. Like to, I'll, I'll talk about my approaches. It's either, um, I yell at them to go home. I think if you like say, like do it in a really stern voice and, but not like showing that you're scared, that can be really effective. Just like, yell, like go home, go home. Um, I, I have had incidences and this wasn't on ETS, but where I really felt like, yeah, the dog was freaking me out and I'll, I'll get off my bike sometimes and just, it, I'll put the bike between me and the dog. Usually the, it, usually these dogs too, I, I would agree like with what Vince said, I don't think they're really like necessarily trying to hurt you. I think they're, they see a bike and they're just like, oh, I want to chase that. Or um, it's just, that's kind of what they're doing. Um, rarely have I had like, they're bored. They just want to say hi. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Or they're just like, Oh my God, that's fast. I'm going to chase it. (laughs) Um, so usually like I'll put my, the bike between myself and the dog. If I'm just starting to get really like uncomfortable and that usually they just get bored of me or yeah, I'll try to like talk to them. And I, I do really like dogs and I'll like, see if I can pet one. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I have to say about the dog situation. <laughs> yeah, I think that's another good approach is just get off your bike and de-escalate the situation. So yeah, like it's it's still you versus a dog. Like you're probably bigger than it. You have a bike between you and the dog. It's like they're not like crazy. I've never had like a crazy aggressive situation. So yeah, um, and then it definitely helps to be with other people too. I think that just kind of makes the stress level. I had a guy on, um, I did this, when I did this, um, slow down, I was getting chased by this guy's dog and he just comes running out of his home in his underwear. And it's like the dog's chasing me. The guy in the underwear is just chasing the dog. And I'm like, this is, this is funny. This is funny. <laughs> and that's why you got to go bike backing. So you have those kinds of stories to share. You don't get that when you're driving down the down the road in your you car. You do not, no. That's a good stuff right there. That's hilarious. All right, Harrison, what about you? How are the dogs for you? I, I, Man, maybe I've just like repressed it or something, but I can't remember any experience over the last two years other than maybe just being barked at and maybe they're running along the side of the road. But... um. I've definitely had weirder experiences outside of maybe Bastrop or something like that here in, in Austin. So never, I, I, nothing literally comes to mind. So I guess I can't speak to it, which I think is a yeah. good thing that it never left enough of an impression, I guess. You know, it's funny. I've done the race for a few years now and um, I get different feedback. Like some people are like, there were, there were hardly any dogs on the route and other people are getting chased by dogs and saw quite a few. And I do wonder if it just depends on, did they get tired by chasing the other riders? Are they in for, you know, a nap or eating food? Like what is that metric there? But it does seem to be a little bit like per case by case basis. Um, but yeah, we've never had anyone get bit by a dog. We've never had any, like we've had aggressive barking dogs, but no dogs that's actually like 
been a, a real issue uh, so far. So, but there are dogs, so um, be prepared for some puppies to come and say hi to you. Uh, <laughs> does anybody know how? Does anybody know how? Uh, how hard it is or how likely you are to find maple syrup in Texas. We have a Canadian that wants to know. And I feel like I see Canadian, like maple syrup on the counters. Is that a common thing? Does anybody know? Yeah. Yeah. You can find maple syrup. It's maybe, maybe not to the standard of a a Canadian, but you can find maple syrup anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Here's another interesting question that I, that I thought was interesting. Um, are there any negative sentiments towards people who are just, who just want to ride the route and not race the route? Um, my goal with this event is for it to be just come ride your bike any way you want to as people who's experienced the route. Do y'all agree with that? Is that, you know, do you feel any pressure to go fast or, I don't know who wants to start Harrison you're nodding or shaking your head I I I think I'm the poster person for just writing it like like just go out and have fun like I always just say don't worry just pedal like if it like nobody is out there who's gonna be like I don't know the like the stereotype of like some road rider who's like you gotta go fast all the time or whatever there is I don't think there's a single person who's signing up for this who is thinking that I mean you think about like uh, a Dennis or any of the winners from years past, like we have beers at the end and we, we commiserate over our rides and it's not about what place you came in, what your time it was at all. It was, it's just literally so cool to be out there with all these other people. So to whomever put that question in, if you're worried about that, just come ride. I'll be out there just, just zooming along as well. So just come have fun with us. Yeah. Anybody have anything to add to that? Well, I was going to say, um, that's like the beauty of, just ultra racing community in general is, you know, you can be very focused on a, a time, but you can also be very focused on an experience and it doesn't really matter uh, what angle you come at it. Just participating in it is, is what's fun. So I can't imagine anybody on the route, not supporting someone else in general. Like the atmosphere is so welcoming. Um, I think the mileage kind of wards away people who maybe have uh, a, a more negative approach to, to what it entails to accomplish it. So. Yeah. Well said. Asia, did you have something you wanted to add? Um, no, just pretty much that. It's just a really, really positive environment. Um, you get people that train for it and really have like their own personal goals that I think do really push themselves. Um, but mostly well, I don't know. You you get all types out there and like, but I would say the one consistent is that people are really nice. Um, I have, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy. I have like now solid friends that I've made through ETS. I mean, that I go bike packing with now, like I've, I've made friends through that event um, that I now do other things with other bike packing events. So just, I love the community so much and I love the, it's, it's just a really positive, really positive environment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that from all y'all. It means a lot to me. My goal with the event and my tagline for the podcast is ride your damn bike and, you know, any way, any bike, uh, just come and enjoy it with a bunch of other like-minded people. And 
the entire atmosphere that I want to create around the event is that anybody is welcome. We're going to celebrate you, whether you, you know, make up your own route, but get back or you attempt it, or whether you come in first or last, like it just, it really doesn't matter. And that's the culture and community that I want to create around this event. So I really appreciate that feedback as people who have participated in it. Uh, that makes me really happy. All right. Uh, let's wrap it up. We Asia's got to do a long drive and we all got stuff to do. So uh, we're 30 days away from East Texas Showdown 2024. Uh, what event, if any, are you doing this year? And are you ready? Are you feeling prepared? Uh, Harrison, where are you at? Man, I never feel prepared, but that's like half <laughs> the fun. Like <laughs> just to show up and 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 do your best. So I, I, I ride 150 miles every week just commuting. So hopefully that can carry me wow. to a good chunk of it. Yeah. Wow, 150 just commuting. How far away do you live from work? It's 15 miles each way the route I take. So it's 30 every day and then five days a week. So oh, that's epic. And what route are you doing this year? Uh, uh, showdown. My father, shout out to Harry himself is doing the, the, uh, lowdown. So I don't know, it, it might come the day of doing it. I'd be like, man, I just want to ride a bike with my dad. So we'll, we'll see. How, how old is he? Uh, he's 65 plus and he's a shredder. So he's going to be out there. Yeah. yeah. It's really cool. Oh, that's wonderful, man. It's a family. It really is a family. Uh, what about you events you're doing? So you're doing the slowdown this year, right? Uh, I did a or no showdown, showdown. showdown. I can't even get my own races straight. Yeah. It's all good. Yeah, slowdown last year, showdown this year, which is a, a nice progression, uh, kind of on the goals too. So, you know, I've I've done that much mileage before, but not as uh, not so contested time. So it's going to definitely like be a challenge, probably physically, but also just like with how I kind of normally do my pace. Of, uh, of the day and taking it a little easier. I'm going to have to maybe push myself a little harder than I'm, than I'm used to on this kind of event. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm intimidated by the distance and the, the timeline. And we have a lot of uh, racers on our team who that kind of distance is like no big deal, uh, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> so it's, it's intimidating to me, but I'm, I'm excited to, to go for it trying to work towards it and uh, just increase my overall riding and uh, the elevation of my riding each week uh, to kind of prepare um, not like a you know high intense scheduled training regimen but on what uh, what my life allows schedule um, so yeah we'll see how it goes but I'm really excited about it yeah man I relate to you. I uh, I talk to a lot of people. You work with a lot of people that are super fast. I talk to a lot of people that are super fast, and uh, I feel like they're doing something different. But uh, that's everybody's on their own journey, and and that's one of the beautiful things about it. And one of the things I like about this event is just bringing everybody together, where you're going fast or slow, and no matter what what your uh, your motivation is, just coming together and doing it together. Asia, you've yeah. done it twice. Are you are you coming back this year, or did you skip it this year? No, sadly, I, I won't be making it this year. Uh, any FOMO? Yeah, 
Definitely. Um, we were, I mean, I just finished a bikepacking trip yesterday and uh, with my friend Emily, who will be doing it and who I've, I've ridden with it before and we were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm definitely going to miss miss being out in East Texas with you guys. You think you'll come back again one day? I would love to. I I don't know if there will ever be a West Texas uh, showdown event, but um, would be will would definitely come to that one as, as it is also closer to where I'm living now. But that would be awesome. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. We're shooting for February of 2025 is the goal. But cool. I will tell you that it's going to be. You have to like. Uh, earn an entry either by completing uh, East Texas or East Texas Showdown or a Central Texas Showdown, or I'm going to come up with some other rules. Like you know, if you've done Tour Divide or if you've done the Italy Divide, you know, if you've done like a big race, because I don't want to make it prohibitive for people who like live overseas. For example, like I got to thinking about it, and it's like, well. I because at first I just wanted you to have to qualify by completing either either one of the showdowns. Um, so but then like for people across the seas, and it might just not be feasible for people. So um, and that's that's partially to kind of like make it fun, also as a way to prepare people for West Texas, which is a much more rugged and an arid environment. It's way more harsh. And then also like to me and anyone who lives in Texas or anyone that's been to Big Bend, you know, Big Bend and West Texas is a really special place. And so I like, I really like the idea of kind of like respecting the land by not taking 100, 200, 300 people out there and keeping it small and intimate and having just like less impact on the land. So we're probably like, I think Max will open it up to like 50 people. Um, but I'm glad you brought that up because I get a lot of questions. Uh, so that gave me a good opportunity to talk to talk about it. So um all right. Well, I'll let you guys all get on with your day. I really appreciate everyone hopping on, sharing their perspectives. Did I miss anything that anybody else wanted to share or say about the route or the event or anything? Or should we just tie a nice little bow on this? Uh, if I can say, if anybody is like reticent or worried about writing or whatever, I promise you, probably everyone on the screen has been there as well. But like, I think our, our Instagram handles have been a part of this too. And you can feel free to reach out to myself or... I don't want to speak for anybody else, but I'm here to console as much as I can. I promise I've cried on the route myself. So like, it'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. Happy tears and sad tears. Both. Yeah. Yeah. Happy and and sad tears. Yeah. All the tears, all the emotions. Uh, And uh, if I talked over Asia, she she said you could reach out to her too. Uh, Yeah. Likewise. Awesome. Well, I appreciate y'all so much. Uh, Thank you, Harrison and Vince. Uh, We'll see you in about 30 days. Uh, Time to get those pedals pushing. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone, man. It's it's really a lot of fun to see everyone come back. And it's really cool um, that so many people come back every single year. And it really builds to like what Asia was saying. I mean, you really do make friends and it feels like a family. So I'm excited to see everyone out there. And all right, that's it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. See you later. Get to training. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. All right, everyone. Well, we let our esteemed panel go. And now I'm going to tackle the rest of the questions myself uh, as soon as I can get my computer to get on the program. Come on, computer.
the rest of these questions, I think I can handle uh, and try to get through them relatively quickly. The way our survey thing works is is it doesn't assign the name to the person who asked the question. Uh, so I'm just going to go through these real quick with no idea who actually asked them. Uh, the first question was about dot watching and the tracker. So this year we are using Follow My Challenge USA as the tracking service. And if you have your own device, then you have to pay a rental fee uh, that's $22 to basically use their service. And you can find that on the bike reg East Texas, the East Texas Showdown bike registration page. Um, if you need to rent a device, the cost is $77, I believe. And you can find that again on the East Texas Showdown registration page. One note about the trackers is they recommend and use uh, cellular based. GPS tracking devices, which is different from previous years where we've done the Spot Gen 3s. Um, the Spot Gen 3s are great in a lot of ways, uh, but every year we do have issues with them. Uh, we'll oftentimes have to like run a new device out to somebody because theirs isn't working for one reason or another. And these cellular devices are supposed to be a lot more accurate. And one nice thing about East Texas Showdown, the route is that by and large, by and large, there's cell phone service across almost all the route. And for these trackers, they actually pull from any cellular network. So it doesn't just run on AT&T or Verizon, any single tower, it can pick up a signal and sing a, send a ping. It also allows for two-way communication. And so we're going to be trying those this year. The only downside to the cellular-based trackers is that they do not have the SOS signal um, installed in them. So if that's a feature that you really want, you could still get your own Spot Tracker or Garmin inReach. Um, the Spot Gen 3 trackers on eBay right now, you can pick them up for like 40 or 50 bucks. They're not that expensive. Of course, you do have to activate those. So if that's something you really want, you can get one of those. However, like I said, for the most part, the route has very good cell phone service. So if you do ever run into an issue, you can always just call uh, emergency services. And as far as we had some questions about dot watching and you can absolutely dot watch on Follow My Challenge USA. Um, we're gonna be providing a link to that. Their interface is really neat. It has tons of map layers and wind layers and all kinds of uh, data that you can play with as a dot watcher. So really excited about giving them a shot this year. I've heard really good things. I know Andrew Onerma used them over on the Arkansas High Country route, and I talked to him, and he had a good experience with them. So we're going to be giving them a shot this year. One other note while we're talking about rescues, if rescues are needed, so there's a couple different kind of rescues. One is you're in an emergency, and if that's the case, please call 911 for any emergency needs. Um, however, Bikes or Death will have rescue driver pickups. We have volunteers that will be available to pick up riders if they can't finish the route, if they get injured, uh, but don't need immediate attention, or if you have a mechanical or for whatever reason, if you do need picked up and rescued off the course, we will have people available. 
one thing to keep in mind there is that these are volunteers and the course spreads over 400 miles. We have over 250 riders. And so our response times are going to be varied. Do we have a rider in your vis or a driver in your vicinity that can come and pick you up? So if you do call us to come pick you up, we're coming, but it might take us a little while to get there. It just depends again on where the drivers are, how many people they're picking up, how many people call to get picked up. There's a bunch of variables whenever it comes to this. As we get closer to the race, we'll provide a number or two that you can call uh, during the race. And that will be if you need to get picked up or if you have questions, concerns, anything, if you need to get in contact with anyone over at Bikes for Death staff, we're going to be sending out those numbers. We'll provide those again at the race meeting prior to the East Texas showdown. Um, and one other note on getting picked up, if you do need to get picked up, we recommend at least a $20 tip to your driver. Again, these are volunteers spending their own dime and time to come and rescue you. Um, so we recommend you at least give them a $20 tip. If you want to feel like you can tip more, I'm sure that they would appreciate that. So please keep that in mind. Next question is, I plan on camping behind the bullet. I know it's first come first serve based on previous years. How quickly does it fill up? I'm planning on getting there around 10 to 11 p.m. I assume that means on Thursday. So yes, we do have primitive camping that's available behind the bullet grill. We have a pretty large area. I think it's about four or five acres. Um, it has yet to get filled up. Last year, we had 200 riders registered. I think we had about 180 show up. I'm not sure exactly how many stayed behind the bullet. Um, and honestly, this is a question mark as we expand the field to a little over 250 this year. Um, and so we're really going to be kind of flying by the seat of our pants. But our goal is to pack anyone that wants to camp behind the bullet, an opportunity to camp there. We're going to have parking lot attendants that will help you know where to park. And uh, the general guideline is take up the smallest footprint possible. This isn't luxury camping accommodation, uh, accommodations. You're going to be packed in there like sardines. Um, so if you want to bring a vehicle, some people want a car camp, that's fine. Some people have vans, that's fine. But no big vans, no big RVs, you know, nothing that wouldn't fit within a normal uh, parking space at a grocery store or something. So we have to be mindful of uh, the space that we're taking up and really try to accommodate everybody that is trying to camp there. And just be patient with us as we figure that out and navigate that on the fly. Obviously, if you get there first, it'll be really easy to find a spot as we go throughout the day. It might become a little bit more challenging, but we just ask for patience and everybody to work with us. And please uh, work with our parking lot attendants to find out exactly where to park and just be mindful of everybody else's space. And what I mean by that is cram right into them because, uh, yeah, again, we don't know how many people we can fit and we're really pushing the limits of the capacity of this facility, which is exciting, but it also means we're going to be learning on the fly. Uh, but we do want to accommodate everybody we can. I sent out a survey. We've had about 112 people respond out of the 250 or so. And about 
70% have indicated that 70% of the people that have responded have indicated that they are planning to camp behind there or might camp there. Um, so that's what we're dealing with and we're going to see how it goes. Next one, the draft route has a small segment at mile 305 uh, with a note that there's aggress an aggressive dog that needs to be rerouted around. Is it still a fact and is there going to be a reroute at that segment? Uh, yes, actually, Hannah Simon was the one who told me about this dog, and apparently, it you know, Hannah Simon is a very seasoned rider if you're not familiar with her. Um, and she was very put off by this dog and strongly recommended that I route around it. And so, I actually found what I think is a better route, a safer route. It takes us off of a, a faster moving 55 mile an hour, which everybody knows nobody's going 55 miles an hour. So, it's like a no shoulder 55 mile an hour road that is taking it off, taking us off of and I think taking on, us on a much safer route. Um, that is the only part of the route that I still need to scout. And maybe by the time that this podcast comes out, I'll have actually scouted that, but I'm scouted that, but I'm planning on getting out there very soon. And one way or another, I will uh, finalize the routes and update everybody um, here very shortly. In general, uh, the routes are primarily unchanged from last year we are still going in a counterclockwise fashion and really no changes to the route so to speak other than routing around this one aggressive dog that is that is the only change uh that i'm planning for this year and i have no reason to be concerned with that reroute i think it's gonna be totally fine uh but i still gotta go put eyeballs on it just to make sure Next question, do lowdown riders need a tracker? Yes, everybody who's participating, doesn't matter what route you're on, is required to have a tracker. It is a requirement to do this race. We last year did not require the lowdown riders to carry a tracker because it's kind of more of a ride rather than a race. However, um, just from a safety and logistics standpoint, we quickly identified that it is much better for us as the race organizers to know where everybody is. It allows us to kind of keep track of everyone, make sure everybody's progressing along, potentially identify any issues uh, that could arise. And it also lets us know if you're still on course because we have so many people that come out not everybody is going to come and check in and especially on lowdown, if you don't have a tracker to turn in, um, we found a lot of people, we didn't know if they were still on the course or not. We had no idea unless we just saw them and we knew your name and we knew you were on the lowdown and all this kind of stuff. And so it really is a way for us to just manage and be good stewards and making sure we're looking out after everybody. We know everybody's very, probably very comfortable being in the woods and doesn't want to be babysat by us, but just as event organizers, it's super important that we can account for everybody. We know where everybody is and we know if and when you're on course, you're off course, you're done with the ride and all that kind of stuff. So this year we are requiring everybody to have trackers. Next question, is there a guide for the lowdown route that shows uh, resupply stops? Yeah. So, you know, all of the routes, all the draft routes are currently available at texasshowdownseries.com. 
You can go to the East Texas Showdown page and all three routes are there. I've added POIs for many of the resupply spots, many camping spots, private camping spots, hotels. I would say that the Showdown route is kind of like the master route. It's the one that I have the most POIs on. So it can be a good idea. Like if you're doing the lowdown, pull that one up and then cross-reference it with the Showdown and see if there's any additional uh, resupply points or camping points that you may not be familiar with. They might be represented on that map. Um, but in general, you know, this race and these rides do follow the ethos of solo self-supported. And so I do provide some POIs, but I highly encourage everybody to be responsible for their own ride, doing your own research and uh, when you're route planning, that oftentimes means zooming in on the map, looking at specific areas that you're thinking about camping in, areas that you might want to resupply in. If it's a town, sometimes I only put one or two resupply options on there. There could be 20, there could be 50, um, but oftentimes I'll just put a resupply option there just so you kind of cues you in to look in that area. And then from there, you can expand, look at their hours of operation, make sure they're still in business. Um, we have people that will often call the shops and make sure, verify their hours of operation. Um, so if there's any areas of concern, if there's a resupply point that's really critical to you, do your own homework, do your own research, and make sure that you verify that information before you get out there. That's the best time to prepare for resupply options, for camping options, is when you're sitting at home and not when you're tired and hungry and potentially cold and wet out on the route. Um, that is not a fun time to be route planning. But as you heard in today's episode, this all the routes have really good resupply options. So as long as you're mindful of where they're at and taking advantage of them, you really shouldn't run into any issues with food and water. That is something that uh, with good planning, you can definitely um, take care of and manage pretty easily. Someone wants to stay at the Bullet Grill from Wednesday through Sunday. Will that be okay? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The people at the Bullet Grill are absolutely fantastic. I mean, they are so, so easy to work with. They are so accommodating. They have been just wonderful to us. And I really, uh, I really appreciate them. Like, honestly, it would be impossible to do this route without all their support. With that said, um, I'm, they would have no issue with you camping in the back. If you get there early, um, it would be a good idea just to walk into the restaurant and notify one of them. They're all very familiar with the bike race. I have another route that's in the Sam Houston National Forest called the Sam Houston Restaurant Tour that's on bikepacking.com. And the start and finish line is the bullet grill for that one. Then obviously we have the East Texas Showdown that is hosted there. So they are very familiar and accommodating to cyclists. And so, yeah. Absolutely no problem camping there. Just notify the guys. That way they know what you're doing. Is there going to be a shower at the Bullet Grill? Uh, there should be. I know we had one last year. It was great. I think the year before that, we had like a hose that was out there. And then the next year, we had a little shower that they had built for us. And uh, I talked to Chris about it, and he says that they're planning on having a shower. So I don't know exactly what that means, but... There should be a shower or at least a water hose, for sure at least a water hose where you can douse yourself down. But I think that we'll probably have a shower 
Uh, like I said, the bullet always comes through, so I don't really worry too much about that. So we had somebody that wants to know how many miles per day to average on the lowdown if you're wanting to finish by Saturday night. So that one's pretty straightforward because the route is 164 miles. I would recommend getting to the group camp that is at Ratcliffe Lake Recreation Area. And that comes at mile 76 on the route. So if you do that in your first day, that leaves you 88 miles on your second day, second day. So a little bit longer of a push on the second day. But um, I think, like I said earlier on in this episode, of course, you don't have to. You can break it up into doing it three days and really, you know, take your time, uh, enjoy it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But one nice opportunity with the lowdown is if you've never put in big days on the bike, you know, 70, 80, 90 mile days, uh, this is a good opportunity to try that. And one benefit of doing the lowdown in two days is that you can come and camp with us at the lowdown group campsite. So if you're not aware, we do have a sponsored group campsite, which basically means Bikes for Death will show up with some beer and uh, we'll bring some firewood and we'll hang out and shoot the shit and have a good time. So that I hope is good incentive for a lot of y'all to make that first push on day one and get all the way out there to Ratcliffe Lake to come and hang out with us. Okay. And actually, I think that's all the questions that we had uh, that we didn't address with the panel. Uh, But again, I just had a few that I wanted to go over with y'all. Oh, actually, there was one more question. We had another question about the neutral rollout over the bridge. And so if you haven't done any of the routes before, all of the routes start at the same time. And this year, we're going to push it back and the start time is going to be at 8 a.m. Because every year in the past, we started it at 7 a.m. And every single year, there's a pretty sizable group that is like just scrambling at the last few minutes to try to get food, go to the bathroom, get all their gear on their bike, like whatever it is. There's just a lot of chaos in the morning. And so to make it a little bit easier to manage uh, from an event standpoint, and then also hopefully making it a little bit easier on y'all, I'm going to start it at 8 a.m. And we all roll out as a group. We line everybody up. So we'll line up showdown first, then slow down, and then we line up the lowdown. And we ride as a group for the first eight miles. And the reason for that is that there is a two mile long bridge over Lake Livingston that comes at about mile five and a half or six on the route. And it's a little, it's not too bad if you're like crossing it by yourself, but when there's a huge group of cyclists, it's a lot safer to have an escort. So Last year, we had a police escort. I've contacted the police department and I'm waiting to hear back to hear if they're going to be providing that support or not. If they do, great. If they don't, then we're going to use our personal vehicles. And the way it's going to work is we're going to do the neutral neutral rollout. There will be a lead vehicle and there will be a follow vehicle with their hazards on. We're going to ride the first portion on the shoulder of the road and 
we will not get above 10 miles an hour. We'll try to average closer to eight miles an hour for that first six miles or so. Then when we get to the start of the bridge, we're gonna pause briefly and just make sure that everybody is caught up and we're not all slinkied out. And once everybody is together, then we're going to go over the bridge. Again, we'll go at an eight to 10 mile an hour, hour pace. After the bridge is over, the front vehicle is going to peel away and that will signify the official start of the route. That will come again at about mile eight on the route. There's a wide shoulder. So once you get past that lead vehicle peels away, uh, it's game on. Um, so that's the plan to get over the bridge. And I will be updating y'all as to whether or not we have emergency services or if we're going kamikaze this year. But I'm not aware of any laws against doing that. It's, you know, it's registered vehicles with their flashers on. Bikes are allowed to be on the road. So it might be a little bit inconvenient, inconvenient to traffic, but I would much rather inconvenience traffic for 10 minutes rather than inconvenience or put any of y'all in an unsafe situation. What else? Did I miss anything? I think that's it. Uh, again, like I said, on towards the end of the panel discussion, we're about 30 days away from the start. So I don't know about y'all, but I'm getting excited and nervous as I'm sure many of y'all are. I'm nervous in a different way. Just hosting this many people is like, it's a big deal. You want it to go well. You invite all your friends to a party and you really want it to go well. And uh, I really am looking forward to this. It's always a great time to introduce people to this route for the first time, this part of Texas for the first time. And if you've been here before, you already know that just the community surrounding this event is so great. I think it's one of the things that makes the East Texas Showdown such an epic event is the community that surrounds it. And then of course, like we said on today's episode, the route is really beautiful. It shows you a different part of Texas than what I think even most Texans know about. So it's really exciting. I'm so excited to have y'all out there in about 30 days. So get to training. If you have any questions, a great resource is the Texas Showdown chat room on Facebook. Again, if you go to Facebook and type in Texas Showdown chat room, that's a great resource. So if you have questions, of course, you can reach out to me. But another great resource is to post those up on Facebook. And if you have that question, there's a good chance that somebody else has that question. And I really love the community support aspect of that. So that's a great resource. We'll also be following up with more emails with just more information that is important as we get closer to the event. So be on the lookout for those. And until then... Don't forget, go ride your damn bike. It was the middle of the night. You grabbed your knife and you held it tight. The sounds of beasts kept you awake. The sounds they made kept you afraid. In the morning, you packed your bike. Memories forgotten from the previous night. You rode faster than ever before. Was it your imagination or merely folklore? Fear turned into strength as you pushed further. Every pedal stroke stronger and firmer. Your bike feels.
feels weightless, your legs aren't tired. You think to yourself, just a few more miles. Bikes for death. Bikes for death.